We're going to continue in our series titled Ready, Set, Go. So we've talked about what, where it is that we're headed. The backdrop of a new building isn't the end of anything. It's the beginning of a lot of opportunity. And as uh, the board and I have talked over the last several years, and many of you have been included in that conversation, we've been talking about the opportunity that uh, a home base gives us, a permanent home base gives us to send deeper roots into our community. And whenever we think about sending deeper roots into our community, we think of what it looked like for Jesus to make the good news of the gospel known to us. The cost to him was simply this. John 1, 14 says, The Word became, became flesh and blood. And in Eugene Peterson's translation, he says this, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. I love that because that actually is a really good picture, really good picture moving into the neighborhood. I, I just think about the opportunity that exists for us to have relationship with one another that is beneficial and mutually beneficial. It's good for us and it's good for the, uh, the, the people that we come in contact with. So the last couple of weeks we talked about what does it look like to get ready, to get set, and then to go. So the first week we talked about going being the welcoming work of Jesus, the welcoming work of Jesus, where uh, the welcome that we're called to give is an extension of openness and invitation to strangers. Strangers. That was the call to us. God, Jesus invites us to, to welcome strangers, those who are not like us, those who are different than us. Jesus even goes so far as to say to us, stretch your imagination and stretch your thinking to the, to, to the inclusion of your known enemies. That, that's the kind of welcome, that's the kind of welcome that Jesus invites us to. And so as we get ready, set, and we go moving into the new neighborhood, moving into our new facility, we're talking about a welcome that is big, wide-armed, open welcome that is all-inclusive. No one, let me say it again, no one is excluded. We talked about how it is that we can create space Kurt told you the first half, at the vineyard where people are experiencing the transforming love of Jesus. And that experience then pushes us, moves us, motivates us to be a people who are creating space for new believers, those who are not yet followers of Jesus, and space for those who are followers of Jesus so that together we grow in the goodness, in the love, in the care, in the kindness of Jesus. And so one of the ways we talked about that last week is in terms of how that happens, and everyone gets to play. I mean, I love the mantra of the vineyard, everyone gets to play. It's not just something we talk nicely about, it should be something that we're actively engaged in. And I just want to say what I said last week, if you are not yet using your gift in the vineyard here at the church and beyond the walls of the church, if you're not yet fully aware of and engaging in your gift, then the body of Christ, we, the body of Christ, at the Pearland Vineyard is poorer because of it. Jesus says that he's building his church, and if Jesus says he's building his church, then guess what? He supplied every resource necessary for us to fulfill his purposes for us in this community. So it means one of two things. Either every gift we have or need to fulfill our purposes is already here, or... Every gift we have is already here, and the gifts that we still need are on their way. So just look around. Just look around. You are the gifts I'm talking about. 
because it is you who's been gifted by God in your spiritual gifts, your shape, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your passion, your ability, your personality, and your experiences come, come powerfully and synergistically together to make a difference in the world in which we live. So we talk about being welcomed. We talk about living out of our spiritual gifts. And today, I want to just take it one step further. And I want to talk to you about ready, set, go. And I want to talk to you about making disciples. Making disciples. You know, you don't become a disciple after you become a follower of Jesus. Discipling is a process that begins far ahead or in advance of anyone ever saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. There's a process of becoming a disciple that you're a disciple or you're becoming a disciple before you ever become a follower. But after you become a follower, you continue your growth. And here's the deal. No one ever graduates from the school of discipleship. So just look around. If you've been looking for a graduate, there are none. There, 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 there are no graduates from the school of discipleship. Each and every one of us should set our sights on being and becoming lifelong learners. So today as we talk about ready, set, go, make disciples, I couldn't help but turn to a passage of Scripture that many of you are familiar, familiar with, Matthew chapter 28. The end of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus, his, some of his last words on earth, he's talking to the 11 as they stand on the mountain, the place where he told them to go. And so in Matthew 28, beginning with verse 16, I'll read through verse 20 from the New International Version. It reads this way, Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Just pause right there for a second. Growing in discipleship does not eliminate all doubt. If you, I'll raise my hand for us all. Man, I have lots of, I have lots of challenges. I have lots of doubts. But I'm a disciple. I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm willing to let Jesus speak into my doubt. I'm willing to let Jesus walk with me through my doubt. I'm willing to let Jesus shine his light on my doubt. I'm willing to let Jesus speak to me so that I can continually be formed and transformed into his likeness. I love it. You'd think, man, by the time these guys get to this point, they've seen the resurrected Lord. He's standing with them on the mountain. And it says they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Like, isn't that just us? Like, am I being tricked here? Is that really him? Am I hallucinating? All these, all these regular things that would go through any normal person's mind, right? Come on now, don't look at me that way. I know that's who we are. That's who we are. We're people who are filled with faith and doubt simultaneously. And most of the time, I'm glad that there's more faith in me than doubt. But there are times when doubt wants to overwhelm me. So in the school of discipleship, as we follow Jesus, following Jesus doesn't mean that our doubt is going to be totally eliminated. And I think that's absolutely normal. Like, normal. I think we should lean into it. And just say, Lord, I believe. There's a centurion. <laughs> Jesus speaks about healing daughter. And he says, Lord, I believe. Just help my unbelief. 
That's a prayer I pray all the time. Lord, I believe, just help me where I'm not yet believing. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You continue reading. Jesus ascends into heaven while they watch him go away. And I'm sure that these words are left ringing in their ears. Go and make disciples because I am empowered and authorized to send you to the nations of the earth. And so the big idea today is if we're going to make disciples, we should follow the lead of Jesus. If we're going to make disciples, we should follow the lead of Jesus. And as I read through this passage, there are several things that become very clear in, in my thought process about what it looks like to follow the lead of Jesus. And so if you want to grab your listening sheet, it's that little interior part of your program that's the fill in the blank. If you want to follow along today, that's great. If you have an electronic device, and uh, you, there's, there's instructions on how you can go electronically and find the passage of Scripture and the notes are available electronically as well. And so let me just say this from the very beginning, from the very outset, the thing that stands out primarily to me in the leading edge of Jesus and his ministry of discipleship is simply this. Jesus' ministry is relational. Jesus' ministry is relational. That means that Jesus rubbed shoulders with people. That means that Jesus spent time with people that means that Jesus shared stories and listened to the stories of people. That means that Jesus met people where they were, as they were, and spoke into their lives with comfort, encouragement, edification, and sometimes direct correction. It means that life on life was shared, not from a distance, but again, remember, John 1, 14, up close and personal because Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And in moving into the neighborhood, he rubbed shoulders with the residents of the neighborhood. I'm regularly surprised at how often I want to do discipleship in a silo. Like, I, I, I want to do discipleship by myself. It's a whole lot nicer. It's a whole lot cleaner. I mean, it's a whole lot, like, like more subjective. Like, I, I like the fact that if I do it by myself, I'm, I'm thinking about myself, I'm judging myself, I'm, I'm you know, uh, discerning my own capacity of having grown or not. Uh, but, but, you know, that's not the way Jesus did it. And, and actually, that's the way, not the way any of us can do discipleship. Discipleship was never intended to be done in a silo. Discipleship has always following the lead of Jesus, remember. Discipleship following the lead of Jesus has always been focused in the context of relationship. In the context of relationship, rubbing shoulders with your neighbors. As I think about the shoulders with which Jesus rubbed, you know, he, he rubbed shoulders with, and elbows with these folks, I, I think of three 
uh, groups of people that I think are helpful for us as we, as we think about how it is that we're going to uh, make disciples as well. So the first place that Jesus rubbed shoulders, and I mean, let me reframe it, maybe not the first place, the first place I want to talk about of Jesus rubbing shoulders with people is simply uh, he rubbed shoulders with the crowd. He rubbed shoulders with the crowd. Have, have you read the Gospels? Have you read the story of Jesus' life? Uh, one thing is consistent. Everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd. I mean, everywhere he went, there was a crowd. You know, it, Jesus... Jesus actually had to resist celebrity. Right, right? Jesus had to resist celebrity. At one point, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, listen, I got to get away from the crowd. Counterintuitive move. A move, a counterintuitive move. You know, when you're seeking celebrity, what do you have to have? A crowd. You have to have followers and you want to bask in the overflow of their shouts of praise and shouts of worship and shouts of whatever they're shouting, good things. You know, you, you want to just live in that. And so Jesus resists celebrity. He says to his disciples, I need to go away and I need to find a place of prayer. Warren Wearsby, in his commentary, says that Jesus withdrew from the crowds for his own sake and for the sake of his disciples. He said, had Jesus been a celebrity and not a servant, he would have catered to the crowds and tried to please them. Catering to the crowds and trying to please the crowds would have diminished his capacity to disciple the crowds. The crowd was the place where Jesus was regularly thronged, but Jesus knew something. Jesus knew something, and the, th the something that Jesus knew was simply this, that most of the people who pushed to get near him were not disciples, but rather shallow followers to see the stuff. Now, the stuff's important. Healings and good news and deliverance from demons and all of those kinds of things. That's good stuff, but you can follow for the show or you can follow to be transformed. And Jesus just sort of knew that a lot of people followed for the show. So the crowd was always there, and Jesus was open and available and shared his life with and taught the crowd. But then... He didn't spend all of his time with the crowd. As a matter of fact, he regularly spent more time with the 12. With the 12. You, you remember the disciples, uh, his, his first followers, uh, those that he called to them, simply these words, uh, drop whatever it is you're doing. That, that's the commonality. Drop whatever it is that you're doing and follow me. One of the interesting things about following Jesus in that day was there was a clear connection between something uh, in terms of following that was more than an intellectual pursuit. I, I, I regularly think of it like this. I, I regularly think of following Jesus as simply an intellectual pursuit. Like, I'm just going to know more, and I'm going to know more, and I'm going to know more, and I'm going to know more, and at some point my knowing is going to transform me, and I'm going to tell you, no, it won't. 
No, it won't. You may say, wait a minute, you don't want us to know more? No, I want you to know a lot. I want you to know everything you can. But I don't want you to know anything more than you're willing to do. Hear me. I don't want you to know anything more than you're willing to do. I don't have a knowing problem. I have a doing problem. And that's a follower problem. Because I, if I'm not doing what I know, I'm not being a good follower. I'm not becoming a good disciple. I'm just adding to my reservoir of knowledge. And Jesus in his day... It was very, very clear what a follower, what a disciple looked like. And it wasn't about necessarily knowing more. It was about putting one foot behind the other and following as close as you could to your master to transform your life by becoming exactly like them. Like being a spitting image, by, by like doing the things that your leader did. And I'm just going to say, I, I, I'm going to confess I know a lot, or at least I think I know a lot. My problem is that I know more than I'm willing to do. I know more than I'm willing to do. And so Jesus gets the 12 to follow him, and I love it. Jesus had gone away by himself, and it says in... Uh, um, Luke it says, on one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose the 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. See, Jesus called them, if you read interestingly, he prayed all night. And when it became morning, he called them. And I, I'm adding an intuitive thought to the text here, but I don't think it does it injustice. He'd prayed all night, and in the morning, he called them to join him in prayer. And as they were praying together, it says he set them apart as apostles. And so it's, then in this instance, it just names the 12. And uh, the 12 that he lists here, Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, the 12. So Jesus invested his life in the 12. He spent a lot of time with the 12. But then beyond the 12, there was the three. Anybody want to help me? Who are the three? The big three of the apostles, the disciples. Loud. Peter, James, and John. You, man, just pat yourself on the back. You passed the Bible question of the day. Peter, James, and John. I mean, isn't it clear? I mean, it's clear as you read through the Gospels. It's clear that Jesus spent time with the 12, but when he went to the Mountain of Ascension, or excuse me, the Transfiguration, uh, it was Peter, James, and John that went with him. You see, Jesus spent his time relationally. Let me just wrap this all up about Jesus and being relational. Jesus' ministry was always relational. And Jesus was always engaged with a crowd. He was also always engaged with a smaller group of people. And then he was engaged with an even smaller group of people. If we're going to follow Jesus' lead, 
I think then we have to be looking to be good disciples as we wander about through our everyday ordinary lives among really, really big groups of people. What does it look like to be a follower? What does it look like to be the good news? Then maybe as a suggestion, maybe, maybe your small group would be representative of the 12. It's a smaller group of people that you get to know a little bit better. You can make new friends. You can grow spiritually, but you're learning how it is to be a follower of Jesus. And I'm going to suggest to you that you even need a smaller group than that. Maybe it's you and two or three others. There's a, there's a very popular movement right now called triads where groups of three get together and share their life, life on life, story on story, to be transformed. The whole point being simply this. If we're going to be disciples and if we're going to make disciples, we have to be people who are thoroughly immersed in relationship. Thoroughly immersed in relationship. Now, some of you think, that's awesome. Some of you think, I don't think I like that. I know you don't think this to be true of me, but I'm actually an introvert. I really am. And um, I, I tell our board all the time, if I ever run off the tracks, you won't have to chase me down somewhere like far away. Just come to my house. The lights will be turned off. The doors will be locked. And you're going to have to knock five or six times to get me to come to the door. If, if I'm going to run off the rails, you're going to find me hiding in my house because that's where I want to be, away by myself, all by myself, with the lights turned out and maybe a blanket pulled over my head while I lie down on a pillow. You, and so sometimes when, when, when we talk about having relationships, if you're an introvert like me, you think, Oh, no, 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 no. Definitely no. Here's what I have learned. Appropriately, I can have relationships with big crowds and with smaller crowds and with even smaller numbers of people. I've also designed, uh, learned to understand that we were designed to have relationships. So if we're going to take the lead of Jesus, I just want to point out to you the only way we're going to make disciples is that we'll make disciples in a relational context. Life on life, story on story, and borrowing from the Proverbs, iron sharpening iron. Iron sharpening iron. Maybe you haven't thought about iron sharpening iron, but if we're going to be in relationships, iron sharpening iron throws sparks. When iron rubs up against iron to, sh to sharpen it, the sparks fly. There's tension there. There's fire there. There's, there's potential for damage there. Yes, that's true. But there's also potential for great breakthrough and great transformation. And I don't believe there's any better place than a community of friends, large, smaller, and small group of friends with whom you can sharpen and share your life in becoming followers of Jesus who do his will. Now, let's talk about what a disciple looks like. And I find that uh, part of what a disciple looks like in Matthew 28 is, is found in the next phrases that are on your listening sheet, and that is simply this. When we think about being a disciple, we think about following Jesus' lead because Jesus affirms and authorizes kingdom ministry. Jesus affirms and authorizes kingdom ministry. He says, 
in verses 18 and 19, all authority, all authority, all authority, all authority. Now, now where, where? All authority in heaven and earth. I would say that's a pretty big sphere of influence. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It resides in me. Now I'm going to pass it along to you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore. When you see therefore, you like to see what it's there for because Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. He says, now, because of this, I'm telling you, go and make disciples of all nations. You see, Jesus, Jesus affirms and authorizes kingdom ministry. Go and teach them everything that I have taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son. Baptize them. And so here's the deal. When Jesus affirms kingdom ministry, he's stating in a very affirming, a, a positive way that we are those who should engage. He's saying, he's saying this is really, 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 really true. In the most positive sense possible, you are my disciples. Go and make other disciples. I, I, I wonder if doubt didn't come back into their mind when Jesus said, all authority has been in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. I, I wonder if, if this doubt didn't come into my mind. Uh, it w if I was sitting there and listening to Jesus when he said that, I would think, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Have I learned enough? Did I, did I miss something? Did I, was I asleep during one of Jesus' teachings? Yeah. Not that, have I learned enough? Here's the other side of what to say. Am I really, really ready for this? Am I really, really ready for this? Is it really possible that I can do what Jesus is inviting me to do? And the answer is no. It's not possible. It's not possible, except as you are connected to him and being transformed by him. So you see, Jesus affirms and authorizes. I love it. He says, I've given you the power to engage. I've given you the power to see people's lives transformed as you share with them the good news. You see, actually, the interesting thing is the power never, res never resides in us. It only flows through us. Make sense? It's, like you don't, it's not like you walk around all the time. In one sense, it's not like you walk around all the time with power. In another sense, you do walk around all the time with power. And it resides in us and is released through us as we open our mouth and speak the truth and love of Jesus to others in the world in which we live. So Jesus says, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. If you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do? If you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do? If you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do? There's a... <clears throat> There's a measurement of people and their distance from Christ in terms of 
how far away they are to becoming a follower and then beyond. And it's called the angle scale. If you want to find it on your, on your uh, smart device, you can do so. It's really easy to find. And there's several variations on the angle scale. Can I just tell you, here's the deal. Sometimes when we talk about making disciples, we think about closing the deal. Like, I've only made a disciple when I've actually prayed with someone to follow Jesus and they've given their life and openly declared, yes, I want to become a follower of Jesus. Can I just say to you that if that's the way you think, then you're going to feel like you're failing all the time. If that's the way you think, you're going to feel like you're failing all the time. <clears throat> Engel Scale says that there are a number of credible encounters that are necessary in people's lives who are not yet followers of Jesus so that they can become followers of Jesus. And what if you just thought that you were a link in the chain of credible encounters that led people to the opportunity and the possibility of following Jesus? Then you're never a failure. You're never a failure. You're adding another link to the chain in someone's transformational journey of experiencing the love of Jesus in a life-transforming way. Go back to last week. Because we're all gifted, each one of us has a Jesus ministry that looks different from everybody else. And every one of our gifts put together simply forms links in the chain to create credible encounters so that people can become followers of Jesus who are not yet followers of Jesus and so that people who are followers of Jesus can grow in their following. And how am I defining growing in your following? Greater obedience. Greater obedience. Greater obedience is the definition of growing disciples. Not knowing more, doing more. In the sense of simply obedient to the call of God in our lives. So Jesus affirms and authorizes kingdom ministry. If you're ever in doubt, you don't need to be. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus affirms and authorizes your ministry of making disciples. And then it gets even better than that. Jesus doesn't just affirm and authorize kingdom ministry. He actually releases others to do kingdom ministry. It's interesting. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. Interestingly, that go simply means this, as you are on your way in this life, as you live your everyday ordinary life, just shine brightly for me, and you're going to make disciples as you share the good news that you've experienced. And so when we talk about Jesus releasing others to do kingdom ministry, it's found, it's found in that Matthew 28, authority has been given to me, therefore go, go and make disciples. There's a backdrop of this going and making disciples that's found in Luke chapters 9 and 10, and where Jesus simply authorizes the disciples to do ministry. So Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 6, it says this, When Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Sounds like to me he put some tools in the tool belt. Right? Tools in the tool belt. I'm giving you authority. Go and do it. Heal people and drive out demons. Make you nervous? Maybe. Some of you, some of you are saying, I don't know about that. Say, no, 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 that, that's awesome. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Some of you are saying, turn me loose, turn me loose. Where? Yeah, okay. Uh, and, he says, and he says, and proclaim the kingdom of God to heal the sick. 
He told them, don't take anything with you for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. What do you, what do you get to take with you? Nothing, except what you got. What you got? Clothes on my back and the good news that I've been authorized to heal and cast out demons. He says, whatever house come to, stay there until you leave that town. If people don't welcome you, uh, leave their town, go on, shake the dust off, and we're not going to get into that. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and, you got got to hear it, healing people everywhere. So Jesus sends out the 12. He says, I'm going to release you to do the ministry I've been doing, and they go and do it. And everybody's excited. They go and do it. They go and do it. They go and do it. You say, well, yeah, but Alan, that was just the apostles. <laughs> you got to keep reading because Luke chapter 9 doesn't end the ministry of releasing other people to do kingdom ministry. So you got to get to Luke chapter 10, verse 1. And it says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Okay, don't get hung up. There's a couple of stories, 70 or 72. Don't get hung up on the number. It's a red herring. It's not important. It really isn't important. What you need to note is simply this. The 12 is not the 72. The 72 is not the 12. We're talking about a completely different group of people. So listen, after this, after the 12... The Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead two by two. Oh, man, you should really listen. Partnering in ministry is always good for us. Don't er I mean, sometimes we have to go alone, but when you can get somebody to go with you, it's always better. It's two by two ahead of him to every town and the place he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask that the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Go, I'm sending you out among lambs, um, uh, like lambs among wolves. Do not take purse, bag, sandals, or do not greet anyone on the road. He, he basically gives them the same instructions that he gave the 12. You see now the 12, you see now the 72. This is why the church and the fathers of the church have always looked at Matthew 28 as the great commission. It's the inclusive last words of Jesus to say, if you weren't the 12 and you weren't the 72, you now get invited because every bit of authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go in your everyday ordinary lives, making disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Let me just pause long enough to talk about how Jesus did ministry. Wherever Jesus went, he was open and welcoming and abundantly generous with the good news. So, so when Jesus, wherever he went, he had a welcoming attitude, a welcoming spirit. No one was excluded. Everybody was included. Matter of fact, Jesus', Jesus message was really as simple as this. If you want to be in, you are. If you want to be in, you are. If you want to be included, you are. What if our attitudes were like that? If you want to be included, you're in. You're in, baby. You don't have to do anything. Just want to be included. And let Jesus begin to speak into your life as you have relationship with large groups of people and smaller groups of people and maybe triads of people where your life will be transformed and changed. Life on life, story on story, transformation occurs. So Jesus welcomed everyone. The second thing is that when Jesus went out sharing the good news, 
real things happened. Real transformation happened in people's lives. There was healing that came, physical healing. There was emotional healing. There was deliverance from demonic spirits. There was a real transformation. There was power that people encountered in the ministry of Jesus. Why shouldn't it be that way today? This is not an intellectual pursuit. This is a total makeover. This is a total makeover from the inside out. Now you're scaring me. Think about it. This is a total makeover. We're not what we were, and we're not yet what we will be. This is the process. Jesus healed people. And that's really, really good news. And then here's the hard stuff right here. This is where the rubber meets the road. Jesus welcomed everybody. Jesus healed people. He transformed their lives, made their lives better, and then he, he summoned them. When we talk about Jesus summoning them, Jesus regularly says to people, you got to let go of your stuff to follow me because your stuff doesn't necessarily always align itself with my stuff. Great story, great story. Remember that? The story of the guy that's called the rich young ruler? Remember that story? Perhaps you haven't. If you haven't heard that story, there's this really smart guy, rich guy, he comes to Jesus and he simply says, Jesus, tell me what I have to do to be your follower. He basically goes on to say, from, from my childhood, from my childhood, I've kept all the commandments. Jesus says, ah, great. Now, Rich and keeping all the commandments sounds like I want him on my team. But Jesus summoned him. He called him up short and simply said this to him. He said, okay, fantastic. Go and sell all you have. Give it to the poor. And then come follow me. Continue reading that story. It says that the rich young ruler went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus spoke to him. He said, what does it cost to follow you? Jesus says to him, I'm asking you to follow me by telling me that you love me more than your stuff. You love me more than your stuff. And when the rich young ruler, at that moment, we, we don't know what happened to him later. Is it possible that he went away and thought about it and came back? Absolutely. This is not the final word on the rich young ruler, but it is an insight into the challenge that we all face. We've got to love Jesus more than our stuff, whatever our stuff is constituted by. And when Jesus summons us, he summons us to let go of the things that are hindering us in having relationship with him that changes us from the inside out. See, that's the work of discipleship. Jesus invites us to welcome people. He invites us to heal people. And he summons us. He summons us to be transformed. See, this is the process. What he invites us to engage, he invites us to share. What he invites us to share, he invites us to be transformed in. What Jesus speaks to us, he actually wants to speak through us to others. He just doesn't want us to be nice and polite and talk about the good news. He wants us to be transformed, and as we're transformed, we're having 
relationship with big groups of people, smaller groups of people, and even still yet smaller groups of people, two or three. Let me just ask you, let me just ask you a question that I think Jesus might ask with regard to us. So what about you? What about your discipleship? What about you? What about your discipleship? I'm not talking about perfection. We're talking about change. I'm not talking about knowing more. We're talking about being obedient to the things we do know. Most of us don't have a problem of knowing. We have a problem of obedience. In what contexts are we in relationships sufficient to walk out that obedience? Is there somebody who knows you well enough to know when you're obedient or not? Is there someone that you can share your life with to say, this is what God's calling to me? And then lovingly, you say, this is what God's calling me to? And then lovingly, they hold you to an accountability, not for what they think you should do, but for what you've said God's calling you to do. Simple obedience. Do you have relationships like that? What about you? Let me ask you, here's another way to ask it. Who's speaking into your life? Who's speaking into your life? Is it a silo? I like silos. But my voice can be very deceptive to me. Right? Who's, who's speaking into your life? Do you have one speaking, someone speaking into your life? See, all of us need someone speaking into our life. That's what discipleship's all about. Relationships that shape and mold us into the image of Jesus who is our head transformed by the spirit transformed by his love you see we all need to have fellow friends and travelers in this life of transformation who's speaking into your life can I just tell you that's not where discipleship ends what about you who's speaking into your life it's not good enough just to have somebody speaking into your life. Here's the question that follows after that. Whose life are you speaking into? Whose life are you speaking into? And about the two previous questions is simply this. There's another question. If not now, when? And with whom? If not now, when? And with whom? If you don't have somebody speaking into your life, when? Who? If you don't speak into somebody else's life, when? Who? I mean, you, you ought to put your, like, grab that piece of paper you can write on. If not now, when? And who? And if you can't think of immediately somebody who's speaking into your life, then that need, you need to, we need to be praying about somebody that God will send into our lives to speak into them. And if you're not speaking into somebody's life, you ought to answer that question as well. If not, if not now, when? And whom? And you say, man, I'm just a brand new Christian. Fantastic. You say, well, I've been a Christian for a really long time. I don't know that I can learn from anybody else. Fantastic. Because whether you're a newbie or you've been around for a really, really long time, you'll find a relationship that God will put you in. They'll speak into your life and you will be like iron sharpening iron and you'll be transformed from the inside out. And when you find someone in whom's, who, whose life you can speak, you'll be transformed and you'll be changed and so will they.
And then here's the, the best news ever. The best news ever. The promise that Jesus gave to his disciples is simply this. As you engage in kingdom ministry, it's what I sent you to do. As you live your life in your everyday, ordinary ways, you just need to remember this. There is never a place you'll go that I haven't gone before you. Here, here's, how, here's how he says that. He says this. He says, the good news is this. In making disciples, we have this confidence. Jesus accompanies each and every one of his followers. Just hear the summation. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely be confident, be aware that I am with you sometimes. That I'm with you every now and again. I'm with you when you feel really good. I'm with you when you feel really bad. I'm with you only when the sun shines. I'm with you only when the moon is out. I, it, none, none, of those, none of those qualifiers. He says, and surely I am with you always. Look to your neighbor, always. When is Jesus with us? Always. And I love it. Even to the very end of the age. Let me just say to you, that's a really long time. And if you understand what the end of the age is, it's only the beginning of the presence of Jesus with us forever. That, there, there's, some, there's some eschatological language about what the future looks like. The end of the age. I'm with you to the end of the age, and, then it, and, and if you understand it, and beyond. I'm with you to the end of the age and beyond. This is what it looks like to make disciples. We follow Jesus' lead in life, and as we follow Jesus' lead in life, here's what happens. We get changed from the inside out, and those with whom we have a relationship also have the opportunity and the privilege to join us in the life of transformation because they will be changed from the inside out as well.